Welcome everyone to Coy's cast number three. Uh, we have a star-studded lineup of panelists for you, starting with um, the our technical guru um, and Spurs expert, AC. Hiya. Um, a gentleman who um, not so much has been invited back, but actually has not departed from the last Coy's cast. Uh, so we obviously welcome back Jake S. I just didn't close down the connection. They can't get rid of me. <laughs> and then... A very special guest who is a long-time member of the Coys Corps um, and uh, knows all things, both Spurs and especially um, Academy-related. Um, he's also an experienced po a podcaster from his work on the excellent Fighting Cock podcast. And we welcome Wendy. Good evening, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be invited. Massive uh, Coys fan for many years, and it's uh, nice to make contact with you in this way. And because the four of us are probably all um, nonagenarian Englishmen, um, we needed some variety on the panel. So to represent both the youth side of Coys and the overseas side of Coys, we've invited Judyid to join the panel this week. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Hopefully I don't let the uh, Americans down here. So At least you didn't break into a chant of USA, and we really do appreciate that. <laughs> I'll try not to. We also can't see the Nacho hat from here either, so we're, we're fine. <laughs> so we're going to start off with um, with really we've got several games to go back to and some games to look forward to. So maybe I'll come to you first, Windy, for a review of the Palace game. Sure. I mean, um, I was very pleased with the performance in the, the Palace game. It feels feels a long time ago now. We've had such a such such a week, such an eventful week. Um, but we, we played well as a team. There were some exceptional individual performances amongst that as well. Um, Larice was fantastic. He made an absolutely unbelievable save from a Sacco shot, which he tipped onto the post and was then just after that very quickly off the line to stop Campbell as well. So a really good steady performance from Larice. Uh, Son scored a really good goal, um, which came about from Lamella winning the ball on the edge of our box, driving forward and playing to Ericsson. And that seemed to be, um, I mean, the Mellors had a, has a good run of games, but that game seemed to be the catalyst for what was in a, a fantastic performance against Manchester City. But as I say, really good team performance against Palace, our third Premier League clean sheet in a row, which is very encouraging given how poor we were defensively last year. And I think a lot of that can be put down to Eric Dyer's uh, steadying the ship in central midfield and doing a great job screening Alderweireld and Batongan. Alderweireld probably had his best game in this one as well. Uh, Christian Eriksen also returned, came off the bench. He created three chances in 25 minutes and got an assist, which I was very pleased to see because last season he created chances, but the stats didn't bear out bear that out in terms of assists. He he was a bit unfortunate that his chances weren't always taken, so it's nice to see him uh, notching a few already. I agree, and, and I think it would be easy to overlook that you know Palace themselves they're a decent team, a much better team than I'd anticipated going into the season. Um, what did you think, Jake? I think it was a testament to how well we're doing at the moment. And it, it certainly marks a sea change for a number of players. But the crucial thing for me was noticing how well they performed as a unit. I mean, people have talked about how Palace have been over the last few, well, since Pardiola took over. And I mean, we were all sceptical on the last podcast about how we would do because of their away form. But they just didn't seem to look like they knew what they were doing or how to cope with how we played. And that's... It's a really refreshing and encouraging sign. So from refreshing and encouraging, we move over to the man known as Chuckles, um, AC, for a review of the Arsenal game. 
Yeah, I've obviously done something to upset you. Uh, getting, <laughs> getting this one. Uh, yeah. I'll try and make this as short as possible because bearing in mind what reviews we've got, this is the worst of the lot. So first of all, the lineup. Um, we obviously had the horrendous picks of Vorm and Fazio. Um, I do wonder if this was more of a case of squad management. You know, you have to keep everyone happy as possible. Um, otherwise, you have to start cutting off limbs and... We do need a backup goalkeeper. Um, it probably would have been a lot better if Fazio had gone to West Brom in the summer. Uh, the rest of the squad was actually pretty good in terms of, you know, looking at the team beforehand. Trippier, Wimmer, uh, Rose, Dyer, Carroll, Townsend, Eriksson, Chadley and Kane. Um, the front four looked good. Carroll I'm a bit dubious about. Um, but going into the game itself, massive mistake from Vaughan for the first goal. Positioning from a few players, questionable. Um, Dyer sort of swung his leg at something. Then they got the second goal, which is just a positional screw-up from the whole defence, really. Uh, Fazio swings at a clearance, which goes incredibly badly. Um, but for reasons that I can't really explain, uh, Rose has tried to follow... Um, he tried to follow Oxlade-Chamberlain across the back and has actually crossed over with uh, Vimmer and gone inside of him, leaving this massive gap on the left-hand side, allowing Flamini to come onto the ball and volley it in. Um, Vimmer also positionally is a bit questionable for me. He sort of goes all over the place. All right, so yeah, our, our goal was very fortunate and Chadley just crossed it in and Chambers, I had no idea what he was doing. He's swinging a leg at something he did need to and created a goal. Apart from that, most of our shot opportunities were to Kane, who was a bit misfiring. So it wasn't the best game to watch. Uh, that's, it was certainly a frustrating game to watch. What did um, Windy or, or Jake, either of you, what did you make of um, Wimmer um, as a player? Do you want me to start, Jake? Yeah, you go for it, mate. Um, I, I like what I've seen of um, Wimmer so far. I think he's... He's obviously a relatively young young player, inexperienced in the Premier League, and will need time to adapt. And it's not easy when you're brought into a, a defence which is kind of changed wholesale. I think if he was coming into the first choice defence and being the only change in that defence, it would be a lot easier for him. But naturally, in these cup competitions, first typically make wholesale changes these days. And that probably hasn't helped him. But I kind of like what I see. He's very, very confident on the ball. He's happy to bring it out from the back in, in the same manner that Vertonghen is, for example. Um, and I think that, that bodes well. He looks a little bit slow on the turn, but that could just be acclimatising to the, the, the tempo of English football. And that's something that will hopefully improve in time. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think the thing that's difficult to judge for most of the back four is if you've got someone like Fazio next to you and... I just don't understand how why we had to play him. I, I get I, AC's point of maybe there's some need to manage the squad a little, but we effectively started with 10 players because he has such a cunning knack to play the ball back into a danger zone. And I get that he's tall and should head a ball, but there was a corner in the second half where he headed it almost back onto our centre spot. And I think having someone like that alongside you when you're starting out in a new team, it's probably going to be difficult to find your feet alongside him. So you are going to look a little bit more shaky, but his distribution seemed decent. He was out of position every now and again, don't get me wrong, but I, I think there's, there's, there were encouraging signs. I, I, there were quite a few people around us who sounded quite positive alongside us, so that's good. I think there is space for him to grow. 
I mean, I, I completely agree. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to make a point on on Fazio. I, I totally agree. That his, he, he was dreadful, absolutely dreadful, and he shouldn't be in the team. Um, but from his perspective, it can't be easy for him. Sort of having we we tried so hard to sell him, um, which must be a huge knock to his confidence. Um, so I kind of I, I kind of feel sorry for him in a way. And I, I, seeing it from his perspective, it's not easy for him to just come in and, and perform like like he like his um, his old self, I suppose. But, Wendy, could you say the same about Lamella? And, and isn't it about how the player responds to that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And and all credit to Lamella. He has been phenomenal in the last three or four games. And that is testament to his character. And Pochettino, in fairness, has really stuck with Lamella through some fairly poor performances. Um, I mean, he, he had some bright spots at the end of last season, but Pochettino has been very loyal to him and given him a lot of chances. Uh, so it's nice to see him finally starting to repay that that loyalty. Agreed. And there's also the the component where, um, and I agree with Jake about the quality of the, of your centre back partner. So, for example, is it really a coincidence that that Vertonghen has played so much better this year with Toby next to him? No, not at all. I, I think there's having the confidence and also an understanding. I mean, I think it's no coincidence as well, even going back into the past, that Eunice Cabal looked half decent for one season when he had the greatest centre-back of all time alongside him. So mm-hmm. uh, that's Ledley King, not Michael Dawson, just to clarify. But <laughs> I, I think you, there are some players which allow you to look a bit better and if you have the trust in them and know that you can move forward. I mean, admittedly, they've also been helped, as been pointed out already, by um, the Mercurial Eric Dyer being in front of him. It must just give him so much more confidence. And football isn't, without a doubt, at the highest level. It does involve quite a lot of confidence in the team around you. Yeah, although Fazio and Vimmer did have Dyer in front of them in that game too. Well, that's true, but we were, we were still playing with 10, probably. <laughs> it's true. And he also, Dyer probably had his worst game of the season so far during that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And again, how much... Carroll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tommy yeah. Carroll is a player, I've never seen a more exaggerated look over his shoulder to see where the who else is exposed. <laughs> it's not just me that spots that, is it? It, yeah, sort of like it's kind of like the driving, driving test when you're uh, forced to check your mirrors so dramatic. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> oh dear. It looks to me like one of those old musical sort of stage whispers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so we're going, I think Judd really has got the, um, the gold medal game to review. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. I don't know how you managed to, to get that one because I, I gave that to you assuming we were going to take, take a terrible beating, but apparently it shows how much I know. So this, this one I'm really looking forward to. You. Uh, over to you, Judd. For the city game. Well, um, yeah, I was really lucky because usually I have to go to the um, to the common area to watch all the uh, Spurs games, but I actually went home to New York, and um, I had a really late night Friday night, so I was very angry to wake up for the game because I kind of knew we were going to lose, and obviously when De Bruyne scored, I was thinking what most Spurs fans were thinking, which is. This is going to be a classic. We play well. Walker or one of those players makes a stupid mistake. They capitalize. We play well. We get a penalty or a red card. They win 3-0, three, 2-0. Three nil, and, um, you know, luckily we got a break with a, an offside goal by Dyer, which even though it was offside, unbelievable strike by Dyer. Like that was unbelievable. He's been our player of the season so far, in my opinion. And... um it was a very kind of Spurs performance from City because you usually think of, you know, Tottenham as kind of a weak-minded team and you kind of saw when 
City obviously got the offside goal against them, they might have been thinking like, oh, we were cheated, we were wrong. And they kind of looked out of it in the second half and we capitalized on it. And uh, you can't say that a lot about our team, which just proves a great improvement by Pochettino. I thought it was interesting. Um, I know there's been a lot of comparison about how, you know, we played so well in this game. We've had some good performances last season against Chelsea um, and against Arsenal. But I think the the key thing about this game for me was it wasn't just a dominant performance. It was, aside from Walker making that horrendous pass and Ericsson not bringing someone down and defence being all at sea for that short time, we looked really dominant. I didn't I didn't really feel like we were gonna concede apart from that. Like our defence feels really solid now. Um and offensively we, we could have got more. Um we were a sodden touch away from being five one winners. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean I found it quite difficult and I've as usual parked on about it, but I'm I get that Walker's cross was from an offside position. They then had possession and then failed to clear the ball by basically De Bruyne assisting Dyer with a lovely pass. But it was in their hands at that point. I think it's almost a moot point that the first ball was an offside pass. After that, they still had plenty of time to do something about it. And then we scored a great goal. And yeah, it it really irritates me because no one really is talking about the fact that we could have had another goal. Well, we are, obviously. But the commentators and the, the general media seem to have ignored the fact that we should have had a goal at the end where Son just touched the ball in when he didn't need to. I think it's well, a fair uh, result. Like, also, maybe this is just here in the States, maybe in England. I obviously don't watch a lot of English TV. But I feel like, especially after Man United went on top of the league, everyone kind of forgot about how Spurs completely dominated Manchester City, which was the highlight of the weekend, in my opinion. And that kind of got overshadowed by, you know, the whole Manchester United, Rooney scoring, you know, Sanchez hat-trick. So that was kind of unfair. But, um, you know, we're slowly creeping up. You know, everyone at the start of the season was making fun of us, how we not going to do well. Our biggest signing was out of the viral. We should have done better. We're not going to finish in the top seven. And we're slowly creeping up the table. And I haven't been this confident since the last season with Bale. Just saying something because I was very confident. I obviously don't think we're going to make top four this year. I think that would be very tough. But I really think that we're going to be a thorn in a lot of the team size this year. And I think we're going to finish fifth. And I know this is something big to say. But I think this team has the writing on the wall to win the Europa League. I know that's a bit... Shout, statement, but That's a big I, shout. You can quote me here that we're going to win the Europa League. We've just recorded on a podcast, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, that is a. But in a way, if if we, if all of us, and I'm not sure any of us disagree with this, and you know, do call out if you do. But if we all believe that we won't finish in the top three or four, whatever is necessary um, to get in the Champions League, in a way, it it hmm, it makes it worse the team we put out in the League Cup third round. Yeah, or maybe that's just the lowest. That, that's the one they're valuing the least, that competition, and, and they'll value the, the Europa League and Premier League more highly. Um, perhaps that's it. Perhaps it just comes down to that. That really disappoints me. I had a tremendous day at Wembley last season. Absolutely. It was an yeah. awesome day out. Yeah. Uh, is it okay if I just make a couple of comments broadly on the City game? Mm, please. So that's the first time we've scored four goals against Man City since 1962, which I thought was quite a staggering stat. Um, I was 
left thinking after that game that we had another gear to go into, which really encouraged me. Um, and as you guys have said, we were, you know, Son's goal, we, we could have had another one. Dimichele should have been sent off for a second book of offence when he fouled Lamena on the counter. Um, we just generally, as a team, we, we clicked, but it felt like there was more to come, which is very exciting for the future. And every, every goal was taken well. And this is me, not as an analyst, but just as a fan. Boy, did I enjoy that game. Oh, yeah. gotcha. You know, yeah. I was buzzing at the end of it, genuinely buzzing. Um, and that's a feeling that doesn't happen that many times per year. Sort no. of similar to the, the Arsenal game last season. Correct. And Kane's celebration, his, the relief etched on his face and the sheer joy etched on his face was fantastic. And Lamella, when Lame- it looked like for you know half a second that Lamella had blown his chance to score in, in the, near the 80th minute, um, and then he turned it round and showed his skills to actually put the ball in the back of the net. There was also a relief there as well. We all thought he'd stuff that up, though, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> I admit it. But um, can I also offer credit to the other member of the Brains Trust who got criticism last time around? Apart from the obvious brain fight he will always give away in every game, Carl Walker's improved over the last few matches. He's really kind of... he He's learning to use his pace a bit better. And also, he is providing his width, which is always a criticism we did, we, we'd had levelled at our side over the last season under Poch. But we are starting to spread the play a little more and look for the options out wide. You've got to be a Jake impression because that, that I've never heard you say things like that. Who would do an impression of me? <laughs> I'm quite unusual on Coys, and I'm quite a big fan of Kyle Walker, and I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism. I think, um, from my perspective, he's he's judged against the fullback position of old, whereas the fullback position has has moved on significantly, and he's kind of got two jobs in one. But I just wanted to sort of stick up for him. He, he obviously made that terrible mistake with the with the overhit pass to Ericsson. But if you watch the goal back, he absolutely sprints back to try and cover up for it, and he ends up in the goal when it, when the ball eventually ends up in the net. He ends up in the net with it. And I thought, you know, a lot of players would have just thrown their hands up and given up, but I was quite pleased that he, you know, ultimately it was futile, but it was nice to see him trying to, to do all he could to stop the ball going in. Exactly that. And one of the other things that I, I've noticed, and sorry to cut across there, I think it's the team spirit that's really noticeable as well, because when his cross went in from the offside position and then it was caught, then we, you know, it, nothing happened, the ball rolled out. If you watch from a certain angle, one of the highlights, he looks absolutely gutted. Then he sees the ball go into the net, and he's the first one over to do, Eric to help celebrate. It, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. I think it can only be encouraging for the long term. I think also um, one thing that kind of adds to that is how young our team is. I yeah. think obviously you look at Vertonghen, and you don't really see it that much with Lloris, but mainly Vertonghen, in my opinion. There aren't a lot of big egos, obviously. I think Vertonghen does have one, but since they're so young, it's like Deli Ali, Dyer. Kane, they all don't really have that big of egos, which I think it doesn't clash. They all look together. Like I just saw the video where Sun brought up Korean food. They all looked like they had fun. I think that's the most important thing. You know, if your team can bond together and they truly like each other, I think that's a big step. Before we shuffle off from this one, can I can I just ask people's thoughts on Ali and Son? Well, Ali, I think he's after the match, I was there thinking you know, I don't really remember him doing a huge amount. Um, but he actually put in a vast amount of work. Um, he made a lot of tackles, he made a lot of interceptions, and he quietly went about his job. And he actually had a pretty good game when you look at it statistically. And if you just focus on him solely during that game, he actually did a really good job. 
And that midfield did not get dominated. In fact, they, they won the midfield battle against yeah. some very tough midfielders. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Ali had a an underrated, understated game where he just did what was required if he'd been a very disciplined role alongside Dyer. Um and he's been an absolute joy to watch this season, Ali. It's I mean, I, I think we all expected big things from him, but perhaps not so soon. Um the confidence of, of the way the way he just takes players on. Um I wrote an article this week, sorry to plug my work, but I wrote an article uh, for the Tottenham Journal this week where I, I mentioned that he's got the kind of exuberance of a teenager alongside the assuredness of a player who's played two full seasons in the in the league football. So I think that's what we're getting with Ali. He was a really shrewd signing. I think also about Ali, the thing that's so amazing is obviously we all know that he played at MK Dons last year. But if you, like I watched the, um, I think it was the Leicester game with my dad and he really doesn't know a lot about soccer or football, sorry. But I asked him after the game, like, oh, how old do you think he is? He says, like, oh, like 25. Like, why haven't I ever heard of him? And it just kind of proves how mature he is. And it's crazy how he was playing in League One. That's an unbelievable step up. And the fact that he's kind of taken that role next to Dyer by storm, hopefully he can keep it when, you know, Mason, Dembele, and Bentel have come back. But um, it should be great to see how he improves throughout the season, the seasons to uh, follow. Also, I think if you look at, say, the team that we put out against Arsenal, so we went, we tried to bring in sort of the, the second string players in, just like Arsenal did. If you start putting Mason and Bentaleb, and even if Ali drops to the second string, it just makes our, our whole squad so much stronger when we've got these players back. Okay, so that leads us, we've had a, had a quick look at the past, we're doing well. Um, I noticed someone on the site started a thread saying that we'd conceded, I think it was the, is it the fewest or second fewest number of goals in the league? I believe fewest, it might be the I fewest, think, yeah. yeah, fewest number of goals in the league, and which is fantastic, which is a um, great testament to some of the uh, changes that, that Poch has made. One could also, as usual, we, we, look at, we could look at the other side and say, I believe we've scored the same number of goals as Bournemouth. Um, so did you see signs from the Palace... And City games, I, I won't count the Arsenal game because we weren't playing anything close to our first eleven. But did you see signs that that side of um, of our game is going to take off? Yes, we've got enough clever players on our side to make chances. I think we've got enough now that confidence is growing to start to put more of them away. So we now have two big games coming up, two big away games coming up. Um, and I do believe, Jake... Um, you've been running to two different countries for those two different games to give us a preview. Yeah, and again, not to be churlish about these things, I know Dimmy didn't mention it, but can I complain once again about the standard of the accommodation I was put up in in Monaco? I mean, I know that it's gone through executive and apparently got you a cut price deal, but if that's an Airbnb <laughs> garden room, I had to break into a shed. I'm not going to mention it again, but just as so long as that's noted for whoever gets the next job. But Monaco are a funny side. Um, they've scored 12 in 8 but they've conceded 13 but in the last 3 games they've conceded 8 and scored 8 and I can't quite work out the formation they tend to play in other than they will definitely have 4 at the back they will now not do that but so far this season that's all they've managed everything else is going to switch between a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 or a 4-1-4-1 I mean there are some players that you'll recognise from yesteryear I mean They've got that chap Moutinho, I believe, we were after once. And uh, Cohen Trail's there on loan at the moment, but he's been injured for a while and may not be back for this game. And Jeremy Tulaland's been out for a couple. 
And that's also been, I think Tulane is quite a great loss for them at the moment, from what I can tell. Um, because he seems to be the one that's been shoring up their midfield and giving them a bit of a screen in front of their defence. Because again, their defence with Ricky Carvalho at centre-back is one of their main choices. Isn't the greatest. Um, having watched a fair few of their goals that have gone in, they are super dodgy on crosses. If we can get the ball in early, it's somewhere near the, their centre-back pairing. We should be OK. Um, they've got a couple of really dangerous players up front. Um, there's one guy who... Oh, he's amazing over the, some of the highlights I've been watching. Is um, Thomas Amar, who scored three this season so far. And there's another guy called um, Nabil Diral. He didn't start the season because he was injured, but he's come back in. And God, he's good. Uh, he looks for space and can find pockets. in. And he's been at the heart of some of the really exciting attacking moves that they've managed over the last few games. But yeah, it's a bit pick and mix, to be honest with you. That They don't seem to have a set pattern of play. And they've got... Um, well, having got rid of Anthony Martial for an absolute fortune, they've not really reinvested it as yet because it was such a last-minute thing. So they're kind of stuck with playing, well, Al Sharawi, who's come over from AC Milan, who has been, well, he was injured quite a lot in Milan and he hasn't really settled in as yet. So he's been floating around either as the lead man up top or playing out on the left. And they brought a guy from Estudiantes called Guido Carrillo and he has scored one this season, but unfortunately it was in the wrong net. So, um... They're not quite as solid as I, I thought they were going to be. They're comfortably mid-table at the moment in the league game. So, I mean, there's enough for us to get at. And I think that so long as we're careful with the, the front three that will play behind whatever lone striker they dredge up, we should be all right to at least give them a real, really good game. The other thing to notice um, is quite how empty the stadium is every time they play at home. So I, I suspect it's going to be largely Spurs fans in there on Thursday. So what's your prediction for the result? Oh, God, prediction of the result. I would be hugely disappointed if we lost. Um, for starters, there are no Tottenham old boys on the side to mess us up. Um, they do have a Chelsea player on loan, Fabio Pasalic, who's playing as one of their defensive midfielders at the moment, but I don't think we can really count him. I'd take a 1-0 away goal. Oh, and before I forget, if anyone wants to watch their highlights against uh, Lorient, the goal from Didier and Dong is an absolute belter. But yeah, um, sorry, away win is what I'd be hoping for. We, I think we've got more than enough, even if we rotate a few players, but don't pick Fazio. We should be all right. <laughs> Fantastic. And then you went to an even more exotic country. Well, yeah, I mean, part of my research was, who knew that Swansea isn't actually in England? God, the things you pick up on. Um, Swansea, I have quite a soft spot for. I think, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think they're everyone's most favourite, beautifully run club. I mean, the tale from rags to riches is quite wonderful. Their stadium is absolutely amazing. Um, the thing I can't quite work out, and this is probably not time for a short podcast like this, but it's the question of whether managers are good and then leave and become bad or whether they do well in the Swansea system. Because it's very tight, fairly constricted in what they are responsible for when they play, when they're responsible for the way Swansea play. Because everything's more or less predetermined. They get a lot of advice from the players they'll buy, and they're also told to play in a certain style. I mean, Swansea this season started well. They um, have tended to peter out a little bit recently. They've lost three in the last four since they beat Manchester United. But the draw against Everton was such a cracking game to watch. I don't think we can necessarily just write them off. They've got a lot of attacking talent. They like to attack with pace, and they do play a 4 2 3 1. At the moment, Bath Tempe Gomez isn't really on the boil. I think it looked, I think I had a look it, in their last game, managed, managed seven passes and then got substituted at half time. So he's not quite 
as on form as he was at the start of the season. And Andre A doesn't quite look the player that he was, but that could be because their front man's struggling. Um, they tend to play a 4-2-3-1, like I said, and they've got two options for you. They can play Cork and Key, Sun Young, uh, uh, the two out of the, the 4-2-3-1, or they can drop John Joe Shelby in there. And I've got a feeling they might do that against us. They're a side that's comfortable with the ball and they like to have a lot of possession. But I just think they'll try and get a bit more pace into the side and maybe have a go at Ben Davis from one of the flanks. So I don't know. I think this one's not going to be as straightforward as the Monaco game, but I'll open that up to discussion. This game, um, sorry, but this game I'm really worried about. I think John Joe Shelby is the most underrated player in the Premier League. I think he's unbelievable. I think knowing our history with fast, you know, wingers, I think IU's going to have a good game. And this game worries me more than the Manchester City game of, you know, last weekend. I just think away from home, great stadium, great crowd. I'm very worried about this. So I'm not really looking forward to this game. Is um is Jefferson Montero going to be playing? Because he scares me. He's available. I mean, they've got Montero or Routledge. I mean, if they play Routledge, they have the opportunity to play three Tottenham old boys with obviously Norton and Sigurdsson as well. I'm not sure how, how much of a jinx I believe that to be, but sometimes I can convince myself that anything can mean that we'll lose. I mean, they are a really good side and they are well drilled and they know what to do. But I, you just like to think, it depends on how well we rotate and how we, what injuries we pick up. I mean, you'd like to think that we'd have enough to give them a good go because they've, they've really struggled over the last few games. I know that they drew against Everton, who have been really on form, but so did we. And since then, we've gone on to better things. Okay, and so I'm putting you on the spot again, Jake. What's your prediction for this game? Well, uh, I think Gary Monk will realise that he shouldn't have the second R in his name. Um, I think we'll all notice that he's got a, a lump, you know, like the Lego man hair? But yeah, about the game itself, um, I'd be happy with a draw. Yeah, I'd take a draw too. How about you, AC? Um, ever the optimist. <laughs> um, I think we'll win 2 0 against Swansea. And then the coach will break down on the way home. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, I managed to get the suit prediction right. At least get something right. Come on, though. The suit is working well. The suit is on. It, it really is. It's hard to believe for me that I, I think this is. Will this be 20% of the way through the season, this game? Oh, it just flies, doesn't it, eh? I think at game eight, yeah, 20% of the way through the season. So that's eight is... weekends until Christmas. <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So this is where I need um, AC to put some sort of old-fashioned violin music on because I was thinking about, I think it's 48 years, wow, 48 years since I first went to White Hart Lane. And... I can honestly say, and I know this is probably just me, and, and obviously I was a season ticket holder for, for a large part of that time, but um, I still, every time I go back to the lane, every time I come up the stairs and I see the stadium inside, I still get a thrill. So it's 48 years and it hasn't gone away. And it made me think about, you know, when I knew Judd was coming on um, to, to be a panellist today, really to ask Judd how he became a Spurs fan and um, how you how you've been able to sort of stay in touch with the team um, over that period of time. And have you had a chance even to come to White Lane? Well, before that about, you know, how you feel when you go to White Lane, I've, I usually go with my brother and my um, father every single year during the Christmas period. So I go for, you know, the three fixtures there. And 
as as a New Yorker, I don't know if any of you guys watch American sports, but my luck is terrible with sports, with everything. So I think one of the highlights, maybe of my life, not even in sports, was the first time I went to White Hart Lane. And I remember the first 30 seconds, I almost got killed by a Ben Foster kick. That was <laughs> a bit intense. But um, yeah, some of my greatest moments in my life were because of Tottenham with the 2-1 Man you away. I went to that. And of course, the Chelsea 5-3 was one of the just the highlights. Probably if I had to relive one night of my life, it would definitely be the Chelsea 5-3. And um, how I became a Spurs fan. It's a very weird, very, very weird story. But um, I went to a new school when I was in uh, ninth grade and I knew no one at the school. And I had to take a language class and I chose French. So I thought Spanish would be boring and Latin. I, why not just pick French? And there were two kids in my class, only two. And, and one of the kids never came to school. So it was just me and the teacher. And he was a big Spurs fan. I think he started to become a Spurs fan the year of the Arsenal Invincible. So he had a tough first year. But <laughs> he asked me if I liked soccer. I said, no, nah, nah, not really. I was the type of fan that, you know, you, I watched the World Cup. If Messi and Ronaldo were playing at some, I would watch. But it was nothing really too um, too big. And then he showed me a couple of highlights of, you know, Bell and that. And I definitely got into it. And then he just told me more about the history. And it's, it's very weird and it's very cliche. But ever since I kind of watched that first video, I kind of just instantly fell in love. And then when they played against the Red Bull, I think about four years ago, I think it was AVB's. Yeah, it was AVB's first season. I saw Sigurdsson score and Bale score, which was unbelievable to see Bale score live. And uh, since then, I have not missed a league game, a Europa League game. And even my dad, I don't think my mom knows this, but I don't think she's going to be listening. Me and my dad have packed every Thursday at 1. I would fake sick to go home so I could catch the Europa League games. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't remember the last time I missed the game. So, and from there, Judd, from there, you've, you've been coming over to the UK. Now, do you, have you just seen games at home or have you gone to away games too? Um, luckily, this is why I love Twitter, that a lot of people help me out with getting away tickets, especially the Man U and the Leicester ones. But yeah, I've seen, um, so far, I've actually seen eight games live and they have not lost, which proves I'm probably a good luck charm because that's very hard to do when you're Tottenham. So... You know, I'm thinking about going back this year. I don't know if I'm going to go during Christmas time. Might change it up, but um, yeah. But definitely, being a Spurs fan changed my life in every single way, and it's probably my favorite thing about myself is that I'm a Spurs fan. So it's great. Wow. Well, um, when I turn to you, Windy, um, as Judd is as Judd is probably the youngest amongst us, um, tell us some of the. The un- about some of the under-21 and under-18 players um, that we should look out for over the next three to five years, um, or maybe even less, I'll say over the next one to three years, um, whose development we should watch and who have a chance of getting into the first team squad at any time starting from next year. Um, and also just a, a review of how the under-21s and under-18s are doing. Sure. I mean, I, I've been quite careful this season um, to sort of not to try not to pick out individuals so much because I think it can lead to um, a lot of pressure on on players that need patience more than more than pressure. 
Um, and fans kind of are, are quite quick to turn on youngsters uh, if they make mistakes because they just expect them to, to always play at the, le- at the best possible level. And I think we saw that at times with uh, Ben Taleb and Maiton last season where people lost a bit of patience with them towards the end of the season where really they, they, need, they need to be allowed to make mistakes because that's how players learn. Um, but, I mean, because it's you, I'll pick some individuals out um, <laughs> who I think are, are particularly good. I mean, one of the best players, I think, in our uh, academies, well, coming through the academy, will probably end up leaving soon, and that's Milos Velkovic. There's been, from what I gather, some some issues over um, contracts. Um, from my understanding, uh, Pochettino thinks Velkovic is a little low intensity. He, so he's a he's a centre-back who can also play in holding midfield. So in my mind, he'd have been an ideal understudy for Eric Dyer in the opening few weeks of the season. Uh, but Pochettino thinks he's a little too low intensity and that news was broken to Velkovic, who then subsequently had a falling out with people in the academy at Spurs. Um, he would ideally want to go out on loan, but the club won't let him go out on loan without signing a contract. So there's a bit of a standoff there and the rumours are that because his contract ends in the summer, we'll sell him in January, which would be a real pity because he's a, he's a big talent. But we also have Harry Winks and Josh Adamar in midfield who are both very talented players. Winks is 19, Onomar's 18. Uh, they've both played for England at various uh, different age groups. Actually, Winks was kept out of the England under-19s quite regularly by Delhi Ali, so he was just down the pecking order from Ali, which shows how highly rated he was. Winks is a sort of, I guess he's a, in some way similar to Tom Carroll, but I would say a more progressive player, and that he'll move up the pitch with the play, whereas Onomar is a sort of more of an attacking midfielder who likes to get on the ball and drive forward. He's uh, a very exciting prospect. And then we have another two players who I, I really rate highly, um, who I think will eventually come through. Right back, Kyle Walker-Peters. I mean, it's just bizarre that we've got a right back who's called Kyle <laughs> Walker um, underneath, uh, bubbling underneath a, a right back called Kyle Walker. I mean, that's just insane. But he's a, a real talent who doesn't often get the sort of dimensions that some of the other youngsters do, but he's... He, exceptionally good in the ball for a right back he's an amazing dribbler with really good balance likes to burst forward from midfield very much a modern fullback he started as a striker was moved to the wing and then eventually became a right back so he's one to one to watch although I imagine he'll need some some loan loan time out at a league club before he breaks through to the first team and then Cameron Carter Vickers who Judd may know a bit about because he's been playing for the American yeah. under 23 and under 20 sides he's um, a very sturdy centre back He's not the tallest, but he's very well built. And for, for a 17-year-old, I mean, he's huge, basically. And, and he stands out both in that respect and with his assuredness on the ball, um, very comfortable in possession from centre-back and, and uses the ball intelligently. So I expect him to get a, a chance at some point over the next 18 months. Do we have any uh, wingers, attacking midfielders, strikers coming through? That you would rate. We've got, yeah, I mean, we've got Nathan Odua, who's on loan at, at Rangers. Um, he, he hasn't played every game for them, but when he has played, he's generally made an impression. Very skillful player, generally plays on the left wing, but cuts in on his right foot quite often. Uh, has played up front throughout his, at times in his youth career, but generally has ended up as a, as a winger. Uh, he's, he's a talented lad. Um, then Kaziah Sterling, who is a very highly rated young striker, who's 16 but made his first competitive start for the under-21s in the last week and scored inside 40 minutes of that match. So he's one that will, I, th- I think he'll 
Um, I think he's a very good player. At 16, it's very hard to say that he's going to become a, a first-team regular at Spurs, but the signs are good for his future. Although, again, at 16, we have to... There's so many things that can go wrong that we have to be patient with him and just expect that he'll take a long time to develop. And so it may be two or three years before we start seeing him uh, mentioned in, in squads or going out on loan. And um, your thoughts on Alex Pritchard? Pritchard, yeah, I like... I mean, there has been an unbelievable amount of hype surrounding Pritchard, which I think mm. has probably been helpful in some respects and unhelpful in others. He obviously hasn't played yet this season, and that's because he's got a niggling ankle injury, which has stopped him training at full intensity. But he had an exceptional season at Brentford last year. Looks really impressive for an awful lot of the games um, in two positions, mostly either on the left of midfield or when they started playing 4-1-4-1, he was playing in the centre. Um, and he did a good job there. I mean, I, I do like him, but I'm not necessarily as sold on him as, as some fans are. I think there are flaws to his game which might become more prominent in the Premier League, but he's definitely got natural talent, and I would absolutely love to be wrong with that, and I'd love him to become a star for us. That brings us to the end of Coizcast number three. I hope you've all enjoyed it, and we will be bringing you another Coizcast in the near future. Goodbye.